Well, it has been quite a week, especially the end of the week with things that have happened with the Supreme Court and, yeah. And you know, it is, it is, I mean, it's, it's basic stuff. If you're old enough to read and you could read the Constitution, you can see that gun rights are in there and abortion isn't. And so it's encouraging to see those things come to life and the those decisions to be made, but at the same time, I don't know how you feel. I I spent some time over the last couple days uh, reading news articles and looking at social media and seeing the world's reaction to these things. And it and as encouraged as I am on one side, I am almost equally as discouraged on the other side. But I think it's an appropriate passage we're in today in Revelation 6, as we begin to see the way God is going to deal with the world. You know, this is what we are seeing now is the heart of man. If you go to Genesis 6, verses 5 through 8, you see God looking down at the world that he has made and the wickedness of mankind and every intent that they had was evil. And it says that God was sorry that he had made them. And you look at the world now, and and Jesus says in Matthew 24 that, that the end times will be like the days of Noah. And I don't know if that is now or if that's in 10 years or a thousand years what God's timing is, but you look around and you see it's, When these things happen in our world and the outrage that is poured out because people can't just make reckless decisions and murder babies anymore, and they're so mad about it that they're willing to burn stuff down and to fight and to scream and to yell, I mean, it's it's pure wickedness. And it is discouraging to see, to know that that's the world that is around me and to quake at what the world will be like when my daughters are my age. And if the Lord tarries even longer, what the world will be like for their children. My big idea today is as we look at these, chapter 6 starts sort of the next section of the book of Revelation. 1 through 5 have been the introduction to what is happening and then in We looked at chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the churches. We see that was what Jesus told John to write the things that are now. That was the church age. And now we started in chapter 4 with the things to come. John is taken to the throne room and he gets this vision of God in the throne room and Jesus still in the appearance of the lamb that was slain. Still this vision of grace is there. And the book the scroll that cannot be opened by anyone but Christ. And now in 6, 1 through 18, we'll be looking at the tribulation, these seven years where God's wrath is poured out on the world. And this is where we start that today in chapter 6. I'll read through the passage. Revelation 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come. I looked and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. 
When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, that men would slay one another, with a great, and a great sword was given to him. Then he broke the third seal, and I heard the third living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and with the wild beasts of the earth. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. I looked, and he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth, as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island were removed from their places. When the kings of the earth and the great men and commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in caves and among rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us! And hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath is come, and who is able to stand? Heavenly Father, Lord, be with us today as we begin to look at this section of Scripture on the tribulation and the things that will take place to come. Lord, encourage us with who you are. That, God, you are eternal. You're not in time as we are. You know what is to come. You can tell us what is to come, Lord, because you know it. And that we can know that how mighty and awesome you are. And that you are just. And you will bring justice to this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So begin in verses 1 and 2 with the first seal. John says, then I saw. This is a continuation of this vision he's having in the throne room. And the Lamb, Jesus, who is the one who is able to break the seals, breaks the first seal. The Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a loud voice, come. This is not an invitation. This is repeated with each of these writers. This is an imperative. This is a command. You come now. John sees... He says, I looked and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. Uh, You know, the horse at the time of John's 
existence was the war machine. You know, for us, it would be a, a tank or now airplanes and helicopters, but I mean, for them, the, the, the horse was their war machine, and this, this rider sits upon it. And the horse was white, and scripture, throughout scripture, white usually represents righteousness, it can represent victory, holiness. You see those connotations throughout scripture. And here I think we see that, that while it has the appearance of purity or holiness, that that's not necessarily what it is saying. I found a quote this week, I thought it was great, it said that whenever men wage war, they always do it and claim righteous reasons for it. And so this is sort of implied here that this rider is coming with this righteous intention of conquering. We see here that the rider carries a bow, which symbolizes warfare in Scripture, but it does not tell us that he has any arrows. And what it seems to be saying here doesn't show us him conquering through warfare, but that he is going to come, and with threats of war, he will, he will win a bloodless victory, basically. There are many interpretations of who these represent. I think this is the Antichrist, and you see his... It says here at the end of verse 2, and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. That We see in Romans 13, 1, that no one is, no human leader is put into position without God putting them there. And that's sort of the vision we have here is that as the Antichrist comes onto the stage, it is God enabling this, bringing destruction upon mankind. And as we get into Farther into Revelation, we see the Antichrist and the things that he will be promising and how people will worship him. Sort of like what I, I said about, you know, we look at the book of Judges and you see that Israel worships the gods of their surrounding nations while he gives them their kings to rule over them as well. And this is, mankind is just obsessed with sin and with anti-God thoughts, and so God gives them a ruler who is of Satan, who will offer to fulfill their desires. And that is what I think we see here with this first horse. The second seal begins in verse 3. And he broke the second seal, I heard a second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out, and him who sat on it, it was granted to make peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, to take peace from the earth, excuse me, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. So the second horse, I think, is bloodshed and war, that it begins with sort of this peaceful takeover, and then is followed by those who don't fall into line are conquered with bloodshed. And this large sword it says that John says that was given to him represents authority to slay people. So after the Antichrist comes, there will be this manifestation of, or the war will, will follow after the Antichrist come. Turn with me back to Matthew 24. It's interesting, as Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse, which we've looked at numerous times, this is all stuff that he told to his disciples 
when he was on earth. And when you think of prophets in the Bible, Jesus Christ was by far the greatest prophet being God himself and what he revealed while he was on earth. Matthew 24, if you look at verses 6 and 7, it says, You will be hearing of wars and of rumors of wars. See you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be famine and earthquakes. So this is Jesus, 60 years before John wrote this, also giving this glimpse into what is to come during the end times. Again, the Olivet Discourse, Jesus, as he leaves the temple days before his crucifixion, his disciples point out to him all the temple buildings and how glorious they are, and he says they'll be torn down. And his disciples say, when will these things happen? And, and Jesus goes into a description of the end times in Matthew 20. But I don't believe that this, what he's describing here as war, is what we will eventually see, the termination of peace between Israel and the Antichrist, that that will happen later. That this is wars that are taking place around the world that will lead to the Antichrist eventually being in charge of everything. Verse 5, the third seal. And when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not damage the oil and the wine. So this black horse follows the red horse, which was bloodshed and war. And this black horse symbolizes famine. That there is a lack of food in the world. And this rider carries this balance of scales, which is a symbol of commerce. It indicates that this rider, again, I think that each of these is an indication of the power the Antichrist is gaining, will have control over the prices and what people are paying and what they'll be able to get. And the voice in the middle of the four living creatures, I believe, belongs to God. Since he's the, he is the source of these judgments. And he's saying, do not damage the oil and the wine. The, the damage there is really to tamper with. Do not tamper with them. So he's, he's giving strict control over these prices to this writer, to this person that's in charge here. In John's day, Daenerys would purchase about 8 to 16 times. I know it's a wide range, but you know we have, from what we can understand of the Roman Empire at that time, it was, take something in the middle, you know, 10, 12 times as much as what's seen here. And so if you're looking on what John has here, I mean, we think our inflation rate is bad now. This is absolutely ludicrous as to what they are having to pay, you know, $50 for a loaf of bread or more. And so you look at what a person made in a day in John's day and what they were barely able to survive on. Again, we talked about this just last week, that most people in John's day did not have the luxury of having savings or anything to, to fall back on or to rely on, they live day to day. And so this, this vision is of if you can barely just survive on what you have now, I mean, life is going to be unmanageable. 
under these conditions. Here as the tribulation grows worse, and this is going to affect both the rich and the poor, everyone is going to be suffering. Another thing I was reading this week, it said that the wars that we have seen, the sort of the saber rattling of the first seal and then the actual warshed in the third seal uh, will affect the prices of things that will take the famine and make the prices even higher. That's why we see these prices going up so much. And so, I mean, we've seen that even just recently with the wheat that uh, both Ukraine and Russia make and Ukraine not being able to send it out and no one wanting to buy anything from Russia, it raises prices. And that is what is happening all over the world, not just in a small area. So we're getting an idea of just how bad existence will be at this time. In the fourth seal, verses 7 and 8, we see death. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse... And he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and with wild beasts of the earth. The Greek literally here for the word ashen is a a pale green color. It's the picture of a corpse on a horse. And Hades follows with him. And this picture is that death claims our bodies and Hades claims our immortal soul for those who have not believed. God gives them, both death and Hades, the power to take a fourth of the earth's population. Through all these catastrophes, again, continued war, the resulting famine that we've seen, and disease as well as even wild animal attacks. You know, if the world's population is somewhere between five and six billion, I think closer to six now, is it over? I I mean, that's a million or a billion and a half people. Look at what our world's reaction was over the last two years to numbers of what COVID has killed, and this is a fourth of the Earth's population. People are going to be scared, they are going to be hungry, they are going to fear for war and all of these things. I mean, life, he's painting this picture of life that is just as bad as things may get before the tribulation. As Jesus said, nothing will compare to this period. And this is how it begins. And this first three and a half years is not as bad as the second three and a half. But this is not a time that anyone wants to be on earth, to be alive. And we look at, again, uh, how quickly something like COVID spread around the globe. If someone was trying to spread something that was they knew to be extremely deadly, that it could happen and it could take people. With war being a part of it, with nuclear war always being on the table, how quickly that could take people. And if those things were happening, and on top of that you have not enough food, and wild animals are killing people, so much so that John mentions it as part of what God revealed to him. I mean, this is going to be a time where people are going to be up in arms. We'll get to the fifth seal, we look at the martyrs, verses 9 through 11. 
When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So we've seen John has had this vision of being in heaven at God's throne room, and so we view this altar as, as being in heaven like this, this heavenly temple that he is in. That God's dwelling place in heaven, his magnificent dwelling place, includes this throne room and this temple. And this altar that he sees was probably an altar of sacrifice. And under this altar we see all of these souls of martyrs, people who have been killed because of the word of God and because they were living out their testimony to the word of God and they were killed for it. These people, because of the church, we've seen the church in chapters, in the previous chapter, that they are in, or four and five, that they are in heaven, that these are people who have come to faith after the rapture. God is going to, very soon, miraculously save 144,000 Jews who will preach his name all over the earth. But I think also you have to remember that in this earth right now, there are people all over the globe who have heard the good news of Jesus Christ, who have had faithful spouses and siblings and parents tell them that Jesus Christ came to this earth, he died for your sins, and he rose again. He wants to give you eternal life if you believe in him for it. And in their hard hearts and pride, they refuse. But yet when the church is raptured, the light bulb goes off and they believe and they are given eternal life but they are not saved from this time of tribulation and because of their faith in Jesus Christ and because of their testimony they are killed for their faith and that is what we are seeing here this is not believers during the church age who have been martyred they have already been raptured John does not see them in bodies here because the Tribulation saints are not raptured until, are not given resurrected bodies until Revelation 20, verse 4. But that will happen in some time future. And so John sees their souls here. And this is this vision we get that already, even in this first three and a half years, that there are all of these martyrs who have been killed for their faith. And then we get to the sixth seal, which is terror. Verse 12, I looked when he broke the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. And the whole moon became like blood. It's interesting, I mean, you go back and we watched some time ago a uh, documentary on, on Mount St. Helens and the effect that it had, you know, that the, my parents lived in Bozeman at the time, hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Mount St. Helens, but you know, almost directly east of it, and they said they had inches of ash on their doorstep the next day. I've heard of others that have lived that lived closer and talking about, you know, just how much and that you couldn't see the sky and 
And I think we don't know exactly what this vision is that John's having, but as he sees this earthquake, we can imagine that there are probably volcanic eruptions and all of these terrible things happening on the earth that is going to cause the sun to be blotted out and then the moon to appear a different color, this color of blood. And all of these, and these things are scary. And you add this on top of everything else, this is a terrifying moment to be alive. And he continues, And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. So I don't know if this is, you know, asteroids actually hitting the earth or exactly what John is seeing here, but if they are, this is something that would cause even more destruction. And again, this is scary. Verse 14, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. I mean, the, the power of, of what is going on on this earth, it is moving mountains and leveling islands, and as we will see, people realize that the power of God is being poured out upon them. Verse 15, then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And it doesn't matter who you are. You're going to be going into hiding. You're going to be seeking some kind of shelter, but there won't be any which is what they find out in verse 16. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And they go to the mountains looking for shelter, and things are getting so bad that they just say, just fall on us. And this, this isn't bearable. Why isn't it bearable? Because they understand that this is the wrath of God. That we see through natural disasters, we want to blame it on mankind that this is global warming and we're causing this upon ourselves. We need to save ourselves. And through other disasters, whether it's war or Mass killings are all these things. It's always this government's fault or that policy's fault or someone didn't give that person the love that they needed and that's what caused this. It's never, it's never brought up that we have a sin problem and that there's a holy God who is above us who can't stand sin. That is not a part of our world's viewpoint. I saw a video that had been posted several times. I don't know if it was from since this Friday or from last month, uh, but I hadn't seen it before. It was of a newscaster. She introduces this section saying she's going to be very blunt, but she, she goes on to talk about how if you're a Christian, good for you, you can live your life, but don't take your Bible values and put them on me. And she goes on and on about how this abortion ruling is so wrong and it's Christians trying to put their values on. I mean, I got so mad when I was watching this because I'm like, yes, my faith says that all human life is created in the image of God and therefore I will not walk out on the street and shoot somebody, nor would I kill an unborn human life. 
But I don't think you have to be a Christian to say that human life is special and we shouldn't end it. But if she just kept going on and on, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in your Bible, stop trying to put your views on me. That is, in essence, the viewpoint of our world around us that is celebrating sin, that is embracing sin, that, that wants us all to celebrate sin, is that there is no God, I refuse to believe in him. You know, as we see in Romans 1, that God has made his invisible attributes clearly visible through his creation. You know, when I was in mortuary school taking these anatomy classes, we had to learn about all the, the bones and the muscles and the tendons and the veins and arteries and the nervous system. And you study all these things and you look at this and you go, how can anyone ever think that this just happened? How? Not only is there something about me that is God's representative on this earth, that everything that he created, me included, shows his handiwork. It's funny that the world is now having to come to these arguments, putting everything onto faith or not faith, because they've lost the science argument. The more we understand about science, the more we see that everything down to the smallest cells were all made with a purpose, that without their purpose, nothing would work. God is visible in everything, and the more we learn, the more we see that. And yet they still deny him, but the thing that we see here is they can no longer deny God. That there will be no atheists in the tribulation. That through these things, as he is beginning to pour out his wrath, to give the people what they've, I mean, you want sin, I will give you the leader of sin. And these are the things that he will produce. And through this, culminating here at the end of chapter 6 with the sixth seal, we'll get to the seventh seal in chapter 8. We have an interlude of chapter 7. But that the people of the earth, all of them, rich, poor, old, young, acknowledge their creator. Which again, is wonderful, but... This is, again, the wicked heart of man revealed. The pride of man revealed. That instead of falling on their faces and repenting, and say, God, you're pouring out your wrath. Show me what I've done wrong. I believe in you. I, I, I want to worship you. I have been wrong. I no longer want to continue to be wrong. Oh, they shake their fist at him. They have no desire for him to, to have any kind of relationship with him, to have any kind of uh, mending of where their relationship with him is. They would just rather the mountains fall on them and kill them. They're willing to acknowledge him, but they're not willing to fall down before him. And I think, again, we see that today, that the people... The evidence of a creator is so strong, and it is getting stronger. I mean, just as the evidence, look, 50 years ago when Roe versus Wade was passed, we had no idea what that looked like. And yet we know now that from the moment of conception that everything that that baby needs to grow into a full human person is there. 
that that is human life from the moment of conception. So we have to go to other arguments. Well, it's not really a person. It's not a person yet. It can't think. It can't feel. It can't. To deny God's existence and who he is, we have to completely ignore facts and just make it all about how we feel. And I don't feel like I should have any accountability to anyone for any decision I choose to make, and therefore I can do this. This is the heart of man that we see going on around us as people scream and yell. And this is the heart of man revealed in God's wrath being poured out. And again, it's, it's encouraging and it's discouraging. It's discouraging because we live in a world that needs Jesus desperately. And it's our job to make disciples, to share that good news, and to train people in what Jesus taught. And to help them to grow and to see them make disciples. And you see the world, the way the world was changed by Jesus' disciples and the couple hundred people that were there at his ascension people are screaming today about we're going backwards on women's rights and this is Christianity's fault. Christianity gave the world women's rights. Jesus respected women. The world around him did not. One of the reasons the gospel spread so fast to the Roman Empire was that it gave a respect to women that was non-existent and things over time changed. But no one wants to acknowledge that. They just want to say, you're taking away my rights. You're... It is discouraging. How do we reach this world around us? Because we need to, because this is coming. And as believers, we need to be living every day like the rapture could be today. And that this tribulation could start almost immediately after. And whether it is today or whether it's 100 years from now or whenever it is, we are to be doing our best to reach this world. But it's hard. But I go back to Jesus' presentation of himself in the previous chapter and here. He is still seen by the world as the lamb. When they cry out, they said they want to be hidden from the presence of him who sits on the throne, God the Father, and from the wrath of the lamb. But yes, we cannot share the gospel without calling sin, sin. But we have to love the world around us. We have to show them God's love, to show them something different than what they have, because this is coming and they need it. And the thing that really encourages me about this, though, is that you see this, again, as God is able to foretell the future, that he knows what is coming, which means he knows what's going on right now, that he knew that too. This is not surprising to him. It's surprising to me because I'm 40 years old. This world is a different world than I was when I was 30. That was a different world than when I was 20, and that was a different world than when I was 10. And none of those have been good changes. And it's discouraging to watch it just fall off a cliff, it feels like. But God, it's not surprising to God. He is still in control he will bring the end in his time. He will bring his wrath. He will bring justice. And most importantly, he will bring peace. And that is the message we have to preach to people. Everyone on this earth is searching for something. Those that are searching for fulfillment, 
in sin are never going to find it. But we have a message that brings peace, it brings fulfillment, it brings joy. So we need to share it. Would you pray with me?